0: Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Camp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent podcast is divided in two small interviews. So in the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speakers' secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated SLIDE group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest In the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email Guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening, I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show! Hi everyone, in today's episode, we will speak with 50 years VC Chief of Staff Alex Tank about Seeds Fund's support for technology entrepreneurs solving the world's biggest problems. The firm based out of San Francisco was co-founded in 2016 by two serial entrepreneurs and YC alumni El Amadesh, and Seth Bannon who have invested in a vast range of highly impactful founders with big dreams and bold strategies such as Noia that you can find on episode 16 for Tech for Climate, SolidGen or Upside Foods. I was excited to have Alex and his high energy on the show to learn more about his unique story that started as a Caltech student in a flying lab operated by NASA while studying climate change and led him to join 50 years to support portfolio companies and investment decisions with his deep science background. During the show, Alex will give greater detail into their investment thesis how they support founders and how they calculate impact to drive their investment decisions. Finally, he will highlight underdog areas in climate tech in which he sees exciting potential for investment and growth. In the second part of the show, Alex will share his secret sauce that can increase your odds to fundraise successfully. You will learn some key red flags that make investors pass on deals. Finally, you will get a few valuable tips on work-life balance for founders and investors. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, Alex. Welcome to Tech for Climate Podcast. We are super happy and excited to have you uh, here with us uh, today. So before we start, thanks for having give me. us. You're welcome. And, uh, it's been a, a long time. I mean, we spoke before and, uh, and I, 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 I really loved your, your energy and what you do with, uh, 50 years VC. So I think this is like the, the best time for, for you to, to tell us a little bit, like maybe give us like a 30 second, uh, introduction about uh, 50 year VC.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so 50 years exists to back heroes. Uh, we partner with founders who are trying to solve the, the world's biggest problems through technology entrepreneurship. Uh, so companies like Upside Food that are culturing meat to eat, Soligen, which is like engineering enzymes to produce industrial chemicals sustainably, or, or Astronis, which is uh, using small satellites to cover the earth and internet. Uh, and so we partner with, with founders at the pre-seed seed stage. Uh, and and we're, you know, we're, we like to be, we like to say we're founders first organization. So we're founders through and through, uh, everyone on the team has founded companies. Uh, some of us have scaled those companies, some of us have wound them wound them down. Um, and, uh, you know, which aim to be the most helpful <laughs> uh, 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 people who back companies uh, 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 ever. Uh, and so, like, you know, that's sort of the, the goal, the mission of 50 years. Uh, we take it as a badge of honor anytime uh, our day is 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 filled up with with supporting our, our founders in our, our portfolio companies.
0: So let's start from, uh, from the top. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, about you, your story, background? Uh, we also yeah. like to, to know a little bit about, like, anything specific that... Uh, It's not public uh, about you that you like to do, you don't like. I mean, who is Alex?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I think one of the coolest facts that no one knows about me is I once threw up over a million dollars worth of scientific instrumentation while sitting on uh, a flying laboratory operated by NASA. Uh, It was over the Houston area, uh, and we had done uh, hours and hours in the boundary layer, so flying like a thousand feet above the ground, which is super hot, super, super bumpy. And as we were doing spirals up, uh, I threw up all Oliver our, our custom made million dollar scientific instrument and uh, immediately the, the text came by and, and pulled me away. Because uh, one of the main concerns on that plane is there are no parachutes and so uh, if you if you add water to electronics, they tend to light on fire uh, and then everyone in the plane asphyxiates so. <laughs> that is like my coolest like sort of claim to fame uh, in my graduate school of research where I was uh, doing climate climate change research uh, and I, I mean like. The whole reason I was doing it is uh, that research was I was a grad student in Caltech. And the reason I was a grad student in Caltech is because I really believe that, that at the time that humanity and still believe that humanity is flying off a cliff without knowing it. And so I really wanted to get deep down into like sort of global climate models to, to sort of lower the uncertainties of future, future forecasting. Uh, and so, uh, so like I, I picked a lab where I could do that research and try and constrain sort of ozone production uh, it's one of the top five greenhouse gases and, and it's like a, a very interesting molecule and only sort of like any one ozone molecule's lifetime in the in, in the sort of air during uh, daytime is only like 10 minutes and so it's like very much dependent on local concentrations and the chemistry and so there's some mysteries about ozone production that i was trying to solve um and my theory for change why i went to grad school was that we would solve climate change like we solved the ozone hole which was a whole bunch of scientists convening at the UN sharing the scientific certainty that like, we're all doomed and man, wouldn't it be great if we just stopped emitting carbon dioxide. Uh, It was probably halfway through grad school I realized that is like totally the wrong theory of change. (laughs) Um, And like it dawned on me actually, while I was still on the plane, uh, we had another project where I was landing at this small island, Ascension Island. It's between sort of the coast of South America and Africa. So right in the middle of like the ocean 2,000 kilometers uh, away from, from the nearest sort of uh, uh, coastline, and uh, we landed in smoke. And like the scientists got super excited. This is kind of like a novel finding. In the models, smoke really doesn't shouldn't last more than a couple hundred kilometers. But like we had this thin layer of smoke that like sort of persisted across the ocean. And so everyone was super excited because like yeah, now we get to like re- sort of like do the models. There's like this is like you know has some impact and import into how we forecast. And in my in the back of my mind, I was looking out the window. And like the sense of dread came over me. And I was like, wow, like it's great that we found this new, new scientific thing, but like, man, this is not gonna help stop like people driving cars in LA emitting carbon dioxide all day, or like, or like refineries that are just like, you know, processing billions and billions of tons of, of, of barrels of oil. And like, then they just end up again in the, in, in the sky. And I was like, oh. you know, it dawned on me, like the way we stop climate change is basically we stop emitting carbon dioxide. And we've known that for like the last 40 years. And, like, the reason we punted on doing it, the reason we, like, did not, like, the U.S. didn't sign an accord to, like, limit its carbon dioxide emissions is it's just too expensive. And so, like, after I had that realization, I was like, okay, I just got to get out of grad school. I got to go scale up, like, new solutions that are cost-effective uh, to mitigate climate change. And so then I, I worked for four years at, at, at a startup that was trying to make net zero emission vehicles using uh, 3D metal printing and, and, like, new manufacturing technologies. Uh, and then eventually found my way to 50 years.
0: So would you consider that, uh, that as the... the- Haha moment. Uh, I mean, this driver that helped you to to jump into the the you know climatic side uh, out of the, the scientist it's, it's side. Where, or?
1: Yeah, it's so the thing that that really like made me jump into to climate was was meeting my father in law in Taiwan. Uh, I I had like taken a year off between sort of like uh, undergrad and and like and I didn't really know what I was doing and so I went back to Taiwan, which is like where my family's from, and, and I met my father in law. Uh, I also fell in love in Taiwan, <laughs> separate story. <laughs> but basically, like, he was just sharing his story. I was just like, curious about like how he grew up, like Taiwan's a super interesting place. It's like one of the, like, uh, it's a democracy, it's a flourishing sort of vibrant, very like modern place. And so uh, I, I just asked him about his life and he was sharing with me that he grew up essentially like on a dirt floor. Like he, he told me stories about in middle school, how uh, they were, were so poor that he would grab trash bags to, 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 to act as, as shoes. So he could walk to school Uh, uh, and like hearing those stories and then looking like outside the window at modern Taiwan, which is like, you know, there's like 7-Elevens on every corner. Like, you you know, it's like super convenient place. There's like great food everywhere, like you know air conditioning, all that. It's like one of the best places to live. Um, And like that juxtaposition of like within my father-in-law's lifetime, they went from like, this like almost agrarian economy to like this modern industrial economy, like it, it imprinted on me this, this notion that like change can happen fast. Like I grew up grown up in America and like, even to this day, if I go back to my like, you know, where I grew up, like it still looks all the same, right? And so like, there's like an American complacency, like sort of like we believe the future will probably look a lot like the past. And so like seeing this story of Taiwan and realizing like, wow, like this, this, this economy like massively industrialized within like you know, 30, 40 years, and then realizing like, oh man, China is doing the exact same thing for a billion people. Like I was like, ah, this scale and scope of change like really like cemented to me that like like, climate change is probably gonna be like a much bigger deal that we really are flying off the cliff without knowing it. And that almost like in some sense to stop economic progress is, is like, uh, like, we can't, we don't have like the moral authority to tell a billion people like they need to remain poor. And so like, like we really have to figure out new ways to like offer economic prosperity without, I, for lack of a better word fucking up the planet <laughs> and so like yeah i mean that was probably like the main driver into into climate for me
0: like like i would say like uh it's, it's time to to stop to unfuck the i mean or to unfuck the planet that's uh that's for sure um and we probably will beep that uh but, uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> but let, let's uh let, let's zoom out a little bit and, and and can you give us a little bit uh more, I mean, your overview, I would say, about the the climate uh, tech ecosystem today. I mean, where are we at? Uh, This is really like uh, becoming the last, uh, I feel like two, three years, this climate tech term uh, popped up, uh, starting to get really, uh, really busy. I mean, what do you think that needs to happen to have, in a way, the the climate tech ecosystem was like really carrying and and, and pushing and empowering those those founders and this innovation to... To go full steam yep. to really support, uh, and as we know, uh, you know, tech is not the only way to, uh, to to I would say fight climate change. It's it's a way to contribute to it. I think mm, there's like mm-hmm, other mm-hmm. interesting ways to, to do it. But really, like on the tech side and the climate tech side, where and how do you think like we'll reach this full steam uh, capacity? What is blocking it to uh, to, to really reach that, if anything?
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, I mean, I think like, if I were to think about the ecosystem right now, like I think it's evolved since like, sort of like climate tech 1.0 that happened in like the, you know, uh, mid to, to 2000s. And like really what's going on now is uh, what I almost term like the great carbon economy refactor. And essentially that like, you know, the last century has been powered by oil. And now we know we can no longer use oil as the fundamental input into our society to power prosperity. And so now we have to reimagine all of the inputs into our economy from the earth and they're gonna be different inputs. They're gonna be like sugar and carbon dioxide and plants much more so than than oil. And so because the inputs change, then all of the processes that get us to the atoms of our lives are also changing. And so what I see now in the climate tech ecosystem is almost like startups approaching every single input and every single process to try and get us to sort of a modern day economy uh, that's that's free of sort of the, the carbon dioxide emissions. Um, and so like, I think that's like an amazing sort of flourishing that's going on. There's a lot of entrepreneurial energy pro- probably partly driven by like Biden being elected. And then also like things like, you know, like BlackRock's letters saying, telling companies, like, if you don't have a sustainability strategy, like, I'm not going to like, no, you're not going to be, you're going to be capital starved or whatever, right. Whatever that, the language is there. Um, and so like, I think there's a lot of energy and innovation going on in the, uh, ecosystem overall. And it's very like sort of tackling all of these minutiae problems. Um, I think that like, like, you're seeing the, the refactoring occur fastest with companies that are better faster cheaper in in sort of like leveraging new technologies to do things in a, a carbon free way that that are you know just like better uh, <laughs> and so like you see a lot of like synthetic biology startups where like oh, okay like the economics are totally switched from like traditionally taking oil to, to make plastic let's say um uh, or, or sort of like high fine specialty chemicals um and so like those companies uh, have already unlocked sort of like 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 scale because because they're cheaper because like they passed the Mr. Burns test, like you know, which is like sort of like a greedy capitalist who doesn't care at all about the environment would still like do those things, um, and so those companies like Soligen, you know, like, like they're just unlocking. And I think the thing that's holding a, a lot of us back from from sort of like a, 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 the greater economy from like refactoring totally is is uh, if you look at like um, sort of like the negative emissions sort of part of climate tech, uh, that's an, that's a part of the greater factor and it's really held back by um, essentially like a lack of, of regulatory funding mechanism to essentially take the carbon dioxide out of the air. And then almost like by definition, you have to like fund this process where you turn it into nothing useful. Like if they weren't useful, like if we turn the carbon dioxide into some useful fuel like product like it would probably just get burned again. Right. Or like we turn it into furniture, it might just get burned again. And so like we literally need to find a funding mechanism to like turn it into like this thing where like it's just this inert, like like, you know, just deep in the ground. Right. And and, and, like so in that in that world, like I think people are seeing that in the future, we will have like this global carbon market regulatory funding mechanism where like you can get connected in and then get funding to basically take CO2 out of the air. Um, uh, But like the transition between, you know, where we are now and that point is, is one where, where it's a little messy and like uh, companies are, 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 you know, are being bolstered by early corporate commitments to, to, to get early funding, but still like that's not enough necessarily to like show funding all the way through to that future where you know there will be some carbon market where we are going to really uh, avoid uh, massive
0: disaster. One hopes. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So let's go a little bit uh, more specific about uh, fifty years. I mean, can you tell us a bit more, like uh, the story. Uh, yeah. You know what's the thesis uh, that you guys yeah. have behind it, and uh, and in a way, what do you also offer to to founders uh, in your portfolio that maybe others don't? You know.
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely absolutely so uh uh the the firm was founded by seth and ella in in 2015 and like uh i think ella at the time was a um a venture capitalist in in, in poland and and she was finding that like you know like the big thing there was like you know that the, like the, uh everyone knew that software companies were sort of eating the world and so like you know like uh it was all about sort of um you know finding those those types of people to, to back and uh but she found the most interesting conversation she was having was with like these deep tech founders and like it was like always like this thing where like ah you like really want to help them but you know that like they don't really fit the model of like a software sort of venture capital fund to like you know they're gonna scale like really fast because you know there's a lot more like capital intensity to like prove out the technology and then like scale it right um because you gotta pay for like factories and things like that um <laughs> and so like something else just basically decided like like but those are like really the most interesting problems and like if we want the world to be better like we just need to go like fund those and back those companies. Um, and like, if you looked at the world of venture sort of like of capital at that time, like you could find sort of impact investors, quote unquote, in like New York, who had no idea how to scale companies, but could could provide you capital. Or you could go to like Sand Hill Road where like they knew how to scale companies, but you know they don't really care about the mission and the vision of, of like impacting the world in a positive way. And so like the, the firm was sort of founded to, to be both sort of values aligned value add investors like that's like uh, sort of what it is. And, and sort of the thesis of the fund is software is basically all the low hanging fruits been picked. And so like returns are, are, are there's a lot of capital chasing sort of like decreasing returns. There's low barriers to entry in software. So like any good idea has dozens of copycats uh, uh, and at the same time, it's never been easier to start a deep tech company. Uh, so like there's dropping costs for genome sequencing, you know, it's like $3 billion 20 years ago and now it's $500 a day. Uh, uh, you have like cheap and ed- accurate gene editing via CRISPR or, or like shared wet labs or, or a dropping cost of microelectronics. Like our cell phones have like, like made like phone, like, like cameras, super cheap. Uh, there's advancements in microfluidics. And so like all, for all of these reasons, uh, uh deep tech is like on this trend where like, yeah, it's just cheaper and cheaper to, to start new companies. And additionally, uh, there's there's also some some notion that like it's it, like the investor ecosystem has a difficult time dealing with deep tech. Uh, it just requires like an extra level of diligence. You really need to like understand it. You can't do like the simple pattern matching of like what are your SaaS metrics to understand like what's going to be the next breakout hit. Uh, and so so that's sort of like the the idea like the thesis behind uh, fifty years is we want to back those companies that are deep tech and have huge impact on the world and will scale to be huge. Um, and so like, as part of that, uh, uh, we try and just be really helpful. Um, and so like our tagline is never annoying, always available and we will probably help with everything except the tech uh, <laughs> and like uh, I mean, like so like the always available, never annoying part is like we remember as founders how annoying some investors can be like they're constantly asking for updates. They have like, you know, like whatever things that they're, they're just like bugging people about. And so like we just fundamentally just want to be as helpful as possible. And part of that is just like we want to help on the terms that the founders set. Um, and then like how we help, I mean, it's just like whatever we can uh, will help with. Obviously, helping like fundraise for companies. That's like a, a like a basic requirement of a lot of deep tech companies is you just need uh, additional capital before you really get to that that, that product market or a technology market uh, fit. Um, and so um, yeah, I mean like some of the unique ways like I recently like a month and a half ago was like just wrenching uh, on on uh, a direct air carbon capture plant at, at Noia's sort of like first pilot plant uh, or. or or, you know, uh, we help with that feedback, you know, just like just basic stuff. Like, how do we scale this company? What can, what can we, you know, how do we how do we unlock the next phase of growth for, the, for our, our portfolio companies?
0: So I, I think this is a good segue. Can can you give us like maybe some uh, example of uh, you know previous uh, investment? I, I think you just mentioned uh, in Noia, and that's uh, that Josh who uh, introduced us. Uh, he was on the show yeah, a yeah, yeah, few episodes yeah, yeah. ago, and uh, super exciting. And I think that doing like an amazing job. Uh, I think they recently uh, uh grow the company again to to the next step. So that's uh, super super exciting. So uh, do you have any other like mini, uh example of like uh, previous investments, and I mean what makes them yeah. special? Is like the the team, the market, the tech, I mean, and, and maybe how do you f- source them? Like, how do you find those, uh, those, those founders that, uh, that come to pitch you? I mean, do they come to you or you scout them? How, how does it work? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, a great example is, is Solugen of a, of a previous company we've, we've backed, uh, Um, they are sort of building the world's first carbon negative molecule factory. (laughs) And so they do that through like sort of chemo enzymatic synthesis of chemicals. And, and basically they're leveraging synthetic biology and enzymes that are sort of like, they, they can engineer much faster now through those, those tools and combining it with sort of the best of like the, the oil and gas, traditional chemical manufacturing processes, uh, to create, uh, this, this, this like behemoth where, where, um, you know, they take. Basically, sugar, air and CO2 to remake all the chemicals that make up a sort of our, our, our modern economy. And so using that uh, sort of their technology, they can uh, address 90% of the chemicals that are currently made uh, uh, globally. Um, and like they've created this like crazy, like fast flywheel effect where basically like they can scale from like a, a microliter well plates to 40,000 liter reactors within months, not years. Um, and then you know the other sort of crazy part about cygene is is like the fact that that they are um like have already turned on their plant so like their their plant they're they're building a plant that's uh uh tons per year of production um and so like you know when we first met them they were like this crazy scrappy team of like you know they they had like built a, a a pilot reactor for for their first first chemical which hydrogen peroxide from like hardware at home depot that they picked up <laughs> and then like the thing that like sort of amazed us was like the scrappiness with which they were able to sort of sell that initial hydrogen peroxide they, they have like the you know they, they initially started targeting like um a pool cleaners because like they need hydrogen peroxide to clean their pools and so like it you know it's like great easy to sell to them and they could sell it a profit and then the other like sort of crazy, crazy scrappy thing that they did uh to sort of like you know, as they scaled sort of their production capacity, they were always constantly selling out. And the, the reason they were selling out uh, for hydrogen peroxide is they actually ended up creating sort of like their own uh, sustainable brand of wipes. So they, they like took their hydrogen peroxide and, and, and uh, uh, made these wipes and then just could sell them at, at a premium into the market. And so like actually like booked revenue from from, from, from selling that. And, and like, it was just like a crazy, like scrappy, like, you know, you generally don't think of like these deep tech, like you know, chemical factories as being, being like, uh, uh, able to generate revenue through sort of like that pilot phase where, where they're really proving out the technology and, and sort of almost subscale on the, the sort of, um, uh, sort of economics. Um,
0: another example so, was,
1: uh, Oh,
0: sorry. So, so to interrupt, But what make them, uh, this, I mean, I hear the tech looks like, uh, incredible the team, but to you guys, when uh, you are selecting like a company and decide to invest, uh, what are the, the, the one, two, or three uh, different criteria that you really look to and say, okay, that's check, that's check, that's check, is that the team, the market, the tech. I mean, yeah. how, do you, how do you process and make your mind on it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So like there's three main criteria that we look for. The first is impact. And so we want to see that if the founder's vision is realized that it will transform millions, if not billions of lives for the better. Um, and so like one way we think about that framework is like, does it make a serious dent in one of the United Nations SDG goals? Uh, um, that's like a, a framework that, that we use mm-hmm. for impact. Um, the other thing is we look for a company that's, that's deep tech. And so essentially, does it take a PhD to start? Does it require deep asset technology of the field? Are they a team basically that's one of 10 in the world that could conceivably tackle that problem? Um, and then the final thing is, can it have a path to a potential billion dollars a year in revenue? Um, and so for all three of those things, it was like a check mark box, yes, for, for Solugen. Uh, and in addition, like, you know, we have heuristics around the team. One of them is like, would we work for, for these founders, like ourselves? Like when we, when we hear them talk about their vision, their passion, what their plan is, like, would we want to work for them ourselves? And that's actually like a really high bar, right? I mean, like you think about like what that really means, like leaving this like amazing job where I'm feeling super fulfilled. Like I'd actually go and like, go like grind it out with them. Like, uh, and so like, uh, that's one of like the, the top level heuristics for the team, you know, do they have clear thinking? Are they first principles thinkers? Are they are they charismatic? Can they attract a team? Can they build a team? One of the other things we think about with the team is like like growth mindset, you know, no founder starts off knowing how to operate and have all the skills to to operate a billion dollar company. Uh, And so, like, you just got to be greedy and hungry for that, like, self-improvement and and new knowledge uh, that that you need to to scale your company. Um, And we probably over index a lot on the team uh, at 50 years, uh, just because we we back companies so early. We always know that, like, you're going to meet the market and you're going to have to shift. It's almost like we use this analogy where like your startups, like a, like a, uh, like a sandcastle with the waves constantly crashing over and the founders are the ones sort of like rebuilding the sandcastle as you go. And so like often the plan will change. Right. <laughs> and so like, we're really trying to back the founders and their vision. Um, uh, and so, yeah, that's like, um, yeah, I, I like
0: this, uh, this analogy of the, the castle. I mean, I was more using the, the, you know, building a plane while, uh, you are flying it, <laughs> but <laughs> I think the castle makes, uh, even more sense that <laughs> thanks for sharing that. So wait, where do you find those founders? Like, how do you source, source them? Like what's your, uh, secret source?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like one of the things we do is, uh, we love sort of, uh, helping, uh, academics translate their ideas into the real world. I mean, like, fundamentally, like, science is the engine of prosperity. Uh, and so, like, we actually run programs where we try and actively improve the ecosystem of entrepreneurship for academics. So, like, we've, we've run a program before where, uh, you know, we identified this need where, like, we really need more uh, PhDs in venture capital because they can help diligence and help support sort of deep tech founders. Uh, and so we actually ran a program where we tried to teach PhDs to to, to, um, to found, uh uh, or, or excuse me, to to, be, to venture capitalists. Like, how does that ecosystem work? And in doing mm-hmm. so, like, uh, uh, you know, they're already sort of well-connected sort of in their labs. And so like, then they would just sort of like, bring up like these, these potentially amazing companies that, that we could partner with. Um, the, the other thing we, we currently run is also like a, a community of entrepreneurial scientists. Uh, if you're an entrepreneurial scientist right now in a lab, it's hard to find another entrepreneurial scientist. And we know that just like from our founders, like having an, a community that you can rely on, that you can learn from, that you can share with and grow with, is like really key to like sustaining some of the energy that you need to, to to grow your company. And so like as an entrepreneurial scientist, like the odds of them having another one in your lab, very low <laughs> and like being able to find another one in a different lab, also very low. And so like just being able to have that connective tissue with them, uh, it, we hope also uh, helps people spin out, you know, the, you learn these playbooks and things from each other, but also like you know it, 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 um, it allows us to, to meet these folks uh, early on in, in their journeys. Um, and that's probably like the most fun we have is like what we can jam with, with people at the very early stages uh, on their idea and concept and, and help them help them really really spin out their company.
0: Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so according to you uh, and, and based on your uh, knowledge of the, uh, of the ecosystem today and the, and, and the markets, I mean which sector are the most promising for you today in terms of like what I call, impact cash return or ICR uh, meaning like building impactful companies while creating, you know, highly profitable business.
1: Yeah. 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 I think the world is sleeping on, like I wait, I wish there was more entrepreneurial energy and heating and cooling. Like, I think it's like a very, like people think of it as like a very boring sort of like, ah, it's just an air conditioner. Like I turn it on. Uh, but like, uh, 40% of, of final energy is consumed in buildings. And like, if you even look at like just commercial buildings, like 40% of that energy is just heating and cooling and like. Fundamentally, like as like a scientist, you look at the thermodynamics of some of what we're doing and it's just so wasteful, like like uh, so one example is in lab, uh, like, you know, lab air, you take hot air from outside, you cool it down and then you also have to dehumidify it. Right. Because it's like it's you know, you cool it down and you don't want to blow like 100 percent humid air into the lab It like makes things wet and like it's very uncomfortable clammy for everybody. Uh, and then so like you spend all that energy to cool it and dehumidify it and you put it in the lab and, and you just keep doing that. Right. And then what happens to the cold air in the lab? you just put it back outside. Like you literally, like all of that cold air that goes back outside, like once passed through, through the lab, like it's wasted energy. Like, and you're like you just lost like 70, 80% of your energy and like you could have used it to like help cool the incoming air, but like we don't. Or like uh, the other great example I like to look at is like uh, my wife's from Taiwan. And so like there's air conditioners sort of everywhere, it's hot and humid place. And like, you see this like stream of water that comes out of almost all air conditioners. Cause again, you going to do the air. And you look at all that, like we just spent so much energy turning that water vapor into liquid water. And now it's just like this waste stream that everyone has to deal with. Like you literally need to like pipe it out into like a sewer and it's like quite, it boggles the mind uh, <laughs> that like how much energy we waste in heating and cooling. And so like, I, they're like fundamentally just better ways uh, enabled almost by like new materials where we can like sort of manipulate and, and use much lower energetic pathways to like dehumidify air or, or like do the combined cycle of dehumidification and cooling. I think that sector is like just gonna blow up. And like from a fundamental needs perspective, like there are a whole swaths of the planet that will become unworkable without air conditioning, right? Like as the as the 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 sort of earth heats up, like there are these places like like India and Pakistan and Bangladesh where like you just can't work over a certain temperature. Like you just kind of just have to lay down. Uh and so like uh I, we know that like we need like massively scaled air conditioning to meet sort of uh to, to sort of be able to, to live and operate um and so like, like we have to find new and better ways to do heating and cooling uh i'll give you another example one of the things with heating is like we think of heating as like very solved problem like it's 100 like 99.9 efficient like natural gas burners in a lot of our houses uh but like, it, like again like it boggles my mind like yeah it is 99 percent efficient but like we have heat pumps And so, like, rather than like being 100% of harvesting all that energy from, you know, burning something, we could actually have this system where like, we actually have lower energy to just move the heat around into your house from somewhere else. And like, we just like, yeah, again, like, I just think like, like, that impact plus cash return just on like the fundamental principles of how much energy goes to heat and cooling, like, 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 yeah, there's like a huge Huge, huge overlooked uh, uh, markets. A whole bunch of markets <laughs> there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely, that's a that's a big one. And uh, any other like uh, any other one that you see on the side that uh, also uh, you know uh, bring your attention on.
1: Yeah, I think uh, materials. I think our, our ability to manipulate atoms at a very uh, level, uh, like at a, at a very fundamental level creates sort of like this amazing thing. Like so if you look at like moss metallic organic frameworks, like we're able to pattern these things very regularly where like you can have a hole that's basically the exact shape and size of another molecule. And so like that molecule just wants to go in and then it's easy to release as well. Uh, and so like the the sort of like advances in that sort of material control of, of at an atomic level will lead to huge sort of like much more efficient like purification technologies. And, and much more efficient sort of like, again, like back to heating and cooling, it'll actually like uh, uh, probably bleed into a whole bunch of other things. Like it'll just increase the ability for certain things to last a long longer, like maybe being able to coat with like this super hard material. And so I think like that innovation will bleed into a whole bunch of places. And like, if you can find those, those technologies that are ripe to sort of commercialize now, like that's, that's huge impact. Uh, and it's, it's a little bit harder to characterize just because some of these materials can be used in such multi- multifunctional ways. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that, that also is like just a, a, a crazy sort of uh, sector.
0: So in terms of uh, impact, I mean, you mentioned uh, based on the thesis, it's definitely something that you guys are looking at, uh, but can you go a little bit more de- detail about that? I mean, do you have any like specific uh, process or, or framework besides uh, the ESG uh, from the, the UN itself? like? I mean, you mentioned you have this community of scientists and experts like to validate uh, the tech in a way. Uh, do they validate it also like impact? Do you use them? I mean, how do you guys like, uh, you know, assess the, the, the real impact, and it's not like a greenwashing day. It's a climate uh, climate uh, you know thing that uh, you know some companies does sometimes. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I th- I believe that we don't have that much time no uh, no ideas to invest in companies that uh, claim that they are doing something, but mm. uh, in fact the impact is not there. So how do you guys assess that? And what's your what's the weight in a way in terms of uh, in terms of impact in terms of the investment decision?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, in the ways that impact can be measured scientifically, you just ask the founder, like, well, have you thought about like how to measure these things? And so like for carbon, you know, it's pretty easy. Just ask for a life cycle analysis and then you interrogate the life cycle analysis. You just look at the assumptions, how far do the assumptions have to go, uh, before like the impact breaks and, and like, you know, you can get sort of other sort of scientists to like, like sort of help you assess that if if you don't understand, like if I don't understand some of the assumptions, but generally like it's, it's pretty straightforward. And like, you know, you look for like almost like a margin of safety, like that the impact is really large. And so like if the assumptions, you know, some of them are, are not as like, not as, as, as uh, conservative as they like, then, then, you know, you still have that. Um, I think that, so like we look for places where the impact is huge and it's sort of um, like well settled that there is positive impact there. Um, it's just sort of the short answer. I, I think one of the interesting sort of metrics we often use is like, we like to see that the revenue and impact are one-to-one uh, in a business. And so essentially, like, no matter how the company scales and whatever markets they approach, we just generally believe that's like tied together. And so then like you can also sort of, you know, because we partner so early on, we can sort of like know that as the company grows, it will always be like positive impact for the world.
0: And and the uh, the companies that you guys are investing in are like always focused uh, greenhouse gas emission reduction or impact on that sense. or is impact also social impact or is it like impact in terms of like you know uh, I mean I would say like a, a natural environment uh, you know uh, protection or regeneration or what kind yeah, of impact yeah, is yeah. the most yeah. like uh, focused for fifty years.
1: We don't, yeah, we are we're kind of a generalist. So like, if we believe it's one of the world's biggest problems, we'll just, we'll, yeah, we'll back them. <laughs> and like, I, I we're, like in that sense, like it, sometimes it's just literally the founder's vision. Like they really believe it's a difficult, like a, like one of the biggest problems and what we think about it, do we agree? And if so, then like, great, like, that's it. Like, that's like, it's as simple as that sort of, um, so yeah, it's, I, yeah, I, we, we try not to overcomplicate it. We also believe that like, sometimes, uh, like asking for metrics really early on about impact. Uh, like impact reporting and like, or ESG reporting can be Mm -hmm. pretty burdensome to a startup. Like as a startup, like you just like, the main thing is just survive and grow. Right. And like, like asking for this additional thing that doesn't help you survive and doesn't help you grow. Like it it can be burdensome. Yeah. And so that's the other thing we sort of wait on.
0: Okay. So i mean we, uh, you and me we uh, you know all hear the news and especially when you work in climate tech you keep hearing even more of, you know being targeted with like news about climate change and like this all like crazy world that is like uh, at our doorsteps um i mean are we doomed uh what would you tell to <laughs> what would you tell to anyone who's not part of the climate tech like uh what's our future like do you see hope not uh what's your opinion on that
1: I always see hope. I mean, I think it's a human engineered problem. And we have scaled these technologies ridiculously fast. And so we also have the you know, can invent the tools that will solve it. And so like, for me, like, I just like, yeah, that's like just fundamentally like what I think. And so, like, I mean, part of it is just finding ways where we can co-op capitalism in the pursuit of solving these large problems, because oftentimes capitalism leaves out these externalities that that like, you know, like about climate change, like we don't we don't make people pay for CO2 emissions that they create. Um, And so, like, I think I think, yeah, I have a lot of hope because it's all sort of human problems and we can find human solutions.
0: (laughs) That's good. So uh, how can the, the community of listeners can help you today?
1: Uh, I joined the system, joined climate tech companies. like, I, I don't know. Like I always, I always think of like, just how can I help the ecosystem? So like if anyone's got ideas on how I can help the ecosystem, let me know. Cause, uh, that's how I want to, you know, most probably spend my time. is helping the, the world, you know, solve these big problems.
0: So any question I, I should have asked you and I did not,
1: uh, I can't think of any, I think, I think one of the the, the great things about uh, uh, sort of communication strategies is emojis. I love emojis. So maybe like, that's a question like do you like using emojis and the answer would be yes and i think it's a, a great communication tool to convey emotion and energy
0: <laughs> <laughs> fantastic alex i love your energy so, so thank you so much for sharing all of those uh super insightful uh you know information about uh, the ecosystem about what you guys do uh how do you measure impact where you see that uh uh you know uh, there is like this uh, hidden nuggets like uh, heating and cooling. Uh, that's probably something that uh, other investors or other funders should, should look at. Uh- Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climatic ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation, or sponsorship, to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupdScamp.org to discover more episodes like this one, and get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation, And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.